Hello, and welcome back to the Skinny Country Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Jack McCabe. I'm Matthew Berg. And this is episode two. Who are we going to talk about today, Jack? Well, I told you we were going to talk about Magellan. But... <laughs> and Magellan's story is a fascinating story yeah. and is a very relevant story to Chilean history, South American history, Patagonian history. Mm-hmm. His story is a story of defection and orgies and mutinies and heads on spikes and dancing giant naked Indians and getting hacked to pieces on beaches. It's really, there's something for everybody you in the had, Magellan story. You had me at orgy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the hidden star of today's story is a little-known figure whose name is Giovanni de Patagonia. Okay. That's the first time I've heard of this guy, actually. Yeah, well, that is probably because no one ever talks about him. Obviously, he's either named after Patagonia or Patagonia is named after him. Well, I made up his name. Oh. I have to say. No, <laughs> I didn't make up his name. But he's the first <clears throat> named Patagonian Indian in written history. Okay. So the Patagonian Indians did not have written language, so we have to wait till the arrival of the Europeans in 1520, and then they befriend and baptize one of the Patagonian Indians and name him Giovanni. Giovanni. So I'm going to go with Giovanni de Patagonia because they didn't give him a last name, but they named the area Patagonia. Right. So it's still like de Parma... It's the guy from Parma. Yeah, it's a standard naming convention of the time. Excellent. I like that idea. Great. Let's talk about these guys. Magellan and his men set out from Seville, Spain in 1519. They're sailing for the Spanish crown, but they're not Spanish. Not all of them, at least. On board, we have Germans, French, Greeks, some Brits, some Italians, Moors, Africans, Brazilians, Indonesians, Spanish, and maybe most importantly, Portuguese. Okay. Fernando de Magallanes... <laughs> Mm-hmm. is Portuguese, mm-hmm. and he's sailing for the Spanish crown. Okay. So essentially he's a defector, because these are the two competing powers of naval exploration at the time. So it'd kind of be like if Neil Armstrong became a cosmonaut. Okay. So he was trying to get the Portuguese to send him west to find the Spice Islands in the Far East, and they weren't going for it, so he defects to the Spanish, and they, they sponsored the mission. So they set out from Seville, Spain, and they have five ships and 270 men. And their mission is to find Las Islas de Maluca, the Spice Islands. Okay. It's basically the same thing that Columbus was trying to do. You know, try to get to the Far East by going west. Okay. But now there's rumors that there is a passage if you go far enough south. And Magellan has these maps that he's come up with through his time in the Portuguese court that show some sort of strait that connects the Atlantic at the time they called the Ocean Sea, to the Pacific, which at the time they barely even have a name for. Yeah. It was just basically a couple of years earlier than this that the first European even saw the Pacific Ocean. That was when Balboa was like stomping through the swamps of Panama and saw what he called the Southern Ocean because he was on a south-facing beach in Panama. It hasn't been named the Pacific yet. Yeah. And when Balboa like saw the Southern Pacific Ocean, he was like... <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, Adriatic Sea, I don't know. (laughs) Must have been his favorite movie. Okay, so we've got this motley crew uh, on this boat headed out. What what, what language do you think they're all speaking, Jack, to each other? Just a hodgepodge of Greek-Spankies or something like that? The official language of the expedition was Castilian nautical Spanish. Oh, excellent. I could have have done really well there. I speak, uh, well... 
Spanish. Yeah. How, how different could it be? How different could it be? Yeah. Funny thing is that Magellan, the captain, he was kind of embarrassed about his Spanish. He had like a thick Portuguese accent. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. The fact that he's Portuguese and leading a Spanish expedition really plays a major role in his story. Okay. Because people are suspicious of him on both sides. Yeah. Right? The Spanish are suspicious. Maybe he's a double agent. Maybe yeah. he's really working for the Portuguese and yeah. he's going to try to sabotage this whole thing. Yeah. And the Portuguese think he's a criminal because he yeah. defected. Mm -hmm. And okay. so as they leave Seville, the Portuguese get word of what's happening and actually send a couple fast ships to try to catch him and okay. arrest him. Mm -hmm. But he gets away with his Armada de Molucas, so the, the Spice Island fleet, which is five ships. Yeah. And their first major stop in South America after four months crossing the Atlantic is what's now Rio de Janeiro. Okay. In Brazil. <clears throat> yeah. The River of January. Ah. This is technically Portuguese territory, but the Portuguese don't have a settlement there yet, so the Spanish Armada is allowed to post up there without any, right. without putting up a fight. Because didn't the, the Spanish government and Portuguese government uh, divide it along the, the such and such a parallel that the American South American continent? Exactly. Right around this time was when I think it was Pope Alexander mm -hmm. split the world basically into two halves mm -hmm. for exploration. Okay. To the west of a certain point was Spanish. To the east was Portuguese. Mm -hmm. So the Portuguese were doing a lot of sailing around Africa. We're doing a lot of sailing to what is now Brazil. Okay. And the Spanish <clears throat> had domain over everything to the west of that. Right. Magellan had convinced the Spanish crown that his theory was that the Spice Islands mm -hmm. lay on the, the Spanish side of things. Right. Of course, mm -hmm. the Pope didn't set up a second dividing line on the other side of the world. Right. You, know, you can't put one line through a globe and say... Yeah. This is now a split, because where does it end? Well, I mean, we do now with the international dateline. Fun fact, one of the accidental discoveries of this mission mm -hmm. is essentially the international dateline. Mm. Because as some of these men eventually make it back to Spain all the way around the globe, when they get back, they're very confused as to why all of their... <laughs> Journals are one day off because <laughs> while they were going around the world, they crossed the international dateline, which no one had really thought of yet. Yeah, yeah. And then they were actually pretty worried because they were very Catholic and very superstitious. Yeah. So they were like, oh no, did we say Easter Mass on a Monday or a Saturday or what? It's like, you know, they're, they're one day off by the time they get back. Okay, well, let's go back to Rio. <laughs> Because Rio's a pretty nice place. It's a really fun place for the, the men of the Spice Island fleet here. Oh, okay. Why is that? Well, they've been at sea for four months. Okay. They're looking for some female companionship. Yeah. And we have great accounts of all of this. Mm -hmm. Because on board, one of the 270 men was a guy named Antonio Pigafetta. Yeah. And he's a Venetian scholar. From Venice, yeah. And he's mm -hmm. the chronicler mm -hmm. of this expedition. Yeah. And he'll be one of only 18 men that make it all the way around the world of the 270 who set out. Okay. And he makes it... 18 of 270. And he presents his written account of it to the king of Spain. And that's why we have all this information. Okay. Right? Okay. And so he puts it this way about Rio. Mm -hmm. The men and women of this place are well made in their bodies. They go naked, both the men and the women. And then they start bartering with the locals. Yeah. Here there are an infinite number of parrots of which they give eight or ten for a looking glass. Yeah, okay. It's a pretty just good like, deal. They just, here's a parrot. Here's ten parrots. What do you do with ten parrots? If you're going to be on a journey around the world with a bunch of sailors, you've got to have talking parrots and polywana cracker and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe they're tasty. I don't know. Maybe eventually, <laughs> eventually yeah. they might need to be tasty. Yeah. 
There's going to be some slim pickings as they get down the line Well, here. pirates always do have parrots, right? I mean... Yeah. I mean, these guys know, aren't technically pirates, but they kind of are. Yeah. There's a... The pirate is in the eye of the beholder, I would say. <laughs> I think to the indigenous people, they kind of were. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't exactly use money to take what they took. Yeah. Or even to the Portuguese, they might consider them pirates because they're out right. invading territory that they think is theirs, you know? I'm sure there was... I'm sure there was some raping and pillaging going on in the in the, this little adventure. Is it documented? Well, there are some orgies on the beach here in, oh, in Rio. Oh, okay. He mentions that you know you can get eight to ten parrots for a looking glass. Mm-hmm. And Pigofeta also mentions that for a hatchet or knife, they would give us one or two of their daughters as slaves, but their wives they would not give up for anything in the world. Wow. Isn't that romantic? <laughs> that sounds that sounds pretty horrible. The indigenous there was it. This wasn't their first contact with Europe. No, actually, some of the guys in Magellan's fleet had been there before and went back to see their old girlfriends. Oh. One guy found out he was a father. Oh, what a lucky guy! Yeah. Okay. So he had a wife uh, who he wasn't trading away. He had a girlfriend. He had a gal. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, they're very Catholic, so I don't think he would have considered her his wife. You know, I don't think she was baptized or whatever. It becomes a big deal later to Magellan yeah. that the local people whom his sailors have orgies with, he really thinks it's better if they're Christian. He doesn't like the idea of his men out there having, having sex with heathens. He would like to Christianize them. And so then, then so they can have sex with... With Christians. With proper Christians. Yeah. Missionary position. Uh, Only. After. Right? <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> but they didn't come to the New World for orgies in Brazil or for parrots. Like Spring Breakers do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were looking for a strait to Asia. Let's get out of Rio, man. I just can't get my mind out of the Rio de Janeiro gutter. Yeah, all right. Well, let's get our mind focused on yeah. uh, geographic discovery, right? So what they're yeah. actually looking for mm-hmm. is the strait. Yeah. What eventually will be called the Strait of Magellan, which is what's now in Chile. And a right. whole region of Chile takes its name from Magellan. We have, in the right. south of Chile, Región de Magallanes, mm-hmm. which is all of Tierra del Fuego, which we talked about last week, mm-hmm. and all of Chilean Patagonia. And people in that region call themselves Magallanicos, mm-hmm. Magellanics. Yeah. So yeah. there's a whole region of Chile named after Magellan, yeah. because that's eventually where he finds, of course, the Strait Across from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and he names the Pacific. He's the first European to sail into it. Just for those of us who might not really know, a strait is basically passageway through a continent. It's like a, it's a naturally occurring uh, canal, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good de- uh, because, description of a strait. The, yeah. A strait, what are the other famous straits? Strait of Gibraltar, yeah. right? Is it like that narrow passage right. between Africa mm-hmm. and Europe? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mediterranean emptying out into the Atlantic, right. or vice versa? Mm-hmm. The Bering Strait, right, right, between mm-hmm. Alaska and Russia. Right. What they're looking for down here is the waterway mm-hmm. from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Yeah. Which is what, of course, people keep looking for for centuries after this. This is only 1520. You got Lewis and Clark in the 1800s still trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then it's, I think, in the late 1800s, it's actually an Irishman named McClure who finds the strait above Canada. Yeah. But he has to do it like on sleds. It's frozen. Right. So. They're looking for a strait. They're looking for a passageway yeah. from the Atlantic, the ocean sea they call it, to this unknown 
Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. where they think, according to the maps at the time, the Maluka Islands are going to be pretty close once you get across. No one's ever sailed across the Pacific. They have no idea what they're getting into, really. Right. And if they did, chances are they probably never would have even undertaken this mission. Right. It'd be crazy. It's like a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. Sailing into a third of the planet's surface they've never right. accounted for. Right. Right? So the mission is not the orgies. They're, they're looking for the strait. And they go down... And right around where Magellan thinks it might be is where Buenos Aires is mm-hmm. and Rio de la Plata, the, the yep. river plate. Mm-hmm. So they think maybe this is the strait. Right. And they taste the water and it's not salty. So yep. this isn't it. This is a river. Mm-hmm. And if they kept going up that river, they would have eventually got to like Iguazu Falls. So they wouldn't have gotten anywhere. Right. You know, they wouldn't have been Whoa! able to get across. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think they would have gone up. By the yeah. <laughs> would have been like... <laughs> all right so let's get back into the story while we were gone a pigeon flew in the window of our makeshift studio in downtown santiago chile so if this is the last you ever hear from us we were killed by pigeons we were killed by pigeons (laughs) (laughs) We, we wouldn't be the first and we won't be the last the killer pigeons of santiago so we'll fast forward to March 31st, 1520. 1520. Almost 499 years from now. Ago. Ago. Yeah. Well, I, thought, I said fast forward, I meant rewind. Well, when you're going around <laughs> the world, you're going around the world as those guys did. Yeah, well, they started this whole, you know, round earth conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> so March 31st, 1520. Now our fleet here, the Spice Island fleet, mm-hmm. has been looking for a passageway through the Americas for months with no luck. Yeah. And now they've gone further south than anyone else, any other European, has mm-hmm. ever gone in the Americas. Yeah. So they're off the map. Past Buenos Aires. But, Past Buenos but... Aires, and they're down in a little port in the southern part of Argentine Patagonia that they call Port St. Julian, mm-hmm. Puerto San Julian. This mm-hmm. is where the wheels really come off for our, our fleet here. Well, they shouldn't have been using boats with wheels in the first place, Jack. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. Bad metaphor. This is where the sails really get wrinkled. <laughs> this is where basically the little seeds of doubts that the Europeans mm-hmm. have had about Magellan as their captain, yeah. they really start sprouting into full-fledged mutiny. Okay, Mutiny plants. Yeah. Yeah. They've been looking for this passage. They can't find it. They're going further and further south. The days are getting shorter and shorter because they're south of the equator. Right. And now it's the end of March, mm-hmm. which is the end of summer, beginning of fall yeah. in Patagonia. Now they're getting into some cold weather, short hours of daylight, yeah. and rough seas, which is the main reason yeah. that they, they stop. Okay. Magellan says, we're going to have to spend the winter here in Port St. Julian yeah. in Argentine Patagonia. And... The men are like, what is this? This is not what we signed up for. We should be getting to the Spice Islands pretty soon by now, you know? The maps at the time had Asia basically like right next to South America. They didn't know about the Pacific Ocean. And so they figured they'd make their way across by now. We brought our our Pacific Island swimwear. We didn't bring anything for this (laughs) Patagonian cold. What the devil? Yeah, exactly. They're not prepared for the cold. Mm Mm-hmm. They're running low on provisions, mm-hmm. and so Magellan gives them kind of shortened rations, lessened rations. That's a way to pep up the crowd. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a way to promote a mutiny, for sure. This mutiny brought to you by Shorten Rations. <laughs> Shorten Rations, <laughs> suspicions from the start that you might be out to sabotage yeah. us. Mm-hmm. And he has all these rivals. In the telling of the story, I decided not to go too into depth into, oh, uh, Cartagena said this, and Mendoza said this. I mean, there's all these characters, right? There's yeah. five ships, so there's, there's five captains. Yeah. And yeah. so it's a power struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But basically... One of the guys, Mendoza, is like the lead architect of a mutiny. Three of the ships are ready to overthrow Magellan, kill him, and head back to Spain yeah. and abandon this mission. Mm-hmm. They're on a suicidal fool's errand at this point, as yeah. far as they're concerned. Uh-huh. There's no strait. We're going further and further south. We might just fall off the edge of the earth, or we might just get trapped in the snow. Or we, you know, They don't know what's coming. Right. They see no native people anymore. Mm-hmm. They're just in the middle of nowhere, in a little cove. Freezing. <clears throat> Freezing their asses off. Yeah, they're freezing their asses off. In their Speedos that they brought. They really wanted to show off last season's tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) To some tribal princess. Magellan suspects that there might be a a coup Mm -hmm. brewing. There might be a mutiny in the works. Mm -hmm. So he calls over the captains and some of the higher-ups from the other ships for a nice dinner and gets them liquored up. Lots of wine. Beyond their daily... Apparently the men had approximately a two liter per day ration of wine. Yes. Yeah. And <clears throat> this particular that, evening... That's my kind of mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> this, <laughs> this particular evening, Magellan, who's generally very strict, makes an exception to his wine rationing. And he gets everybody <laughs> liquored up and they start to spill their, their guts. Yeah. They start to spill the beans about, yes, there is a mutiny brewing and... Magellan's very kind of quick and cunning about things. He sneaks somebody over to another ship to cut their anchor, and he's maneuvering, and mm-hmm. he has one of his guys stab a guy in the throat and get the people to confess, and he quells the mutiny. But this is around the time of like the Inquisition in Spain, and so punishments are pretty particularly brutal. So he doesn't just say... Ah, uh, you guys tried to get me, but you're good. you're good. I still need you to get to the Spice Islands. Throw you in the brig for a couple hours and just say, just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. do that. He to, to the people he views as the organizers of the mutiny, mm-hmm. he tortures them, has their bodies drawn and quartered, and puts their heads on pikes on the shore of Puerto San Julian, so all the men can see and have a reminder not to cross the sheriff in this town. <laughs> Their heads are on spikes, and things are getting pretty bleak. Yeah. Things are getting pretty bleak for our spice seekers here. Because I bet you it, it, it hurts more to get your head cut off in the cold weather than it does in, you know, Rio de Janeiro right after an orgy. Just like right <laughs> after an orgy, just like, all right, cut my head off. But at this point, it's just like, I'm only having two liters of wine a day, and it's cold outside. This sucks. <laughs> and, just cut it off. Just, and what's more is it hurts like hell to get my head cut off in this cold weather. Yeah, it sucks getting your head cut off in any kind of weather. Yeah. As if that weren't bad enough, one of the five ships, which is called the Santiago, is sent off on a little reconnaissance mission. Now mm-hmm. it's, it's the middle of winter. And the seas are not tranquilo. Yeah, they're not nice. But Magellan is God, he's just he's still looking for his strait, you know? And so he sends off the Santiago on a little reconnaissance mission. It gets shipwrecked. It gets knocked into the rocks by a storm. And 
amazingly, the men on it all survive. They're able to jump off and scramble ashore. Mm-hmm. But the ship is destroyed, and they lose all the provisions that were on board that ship. Oof. Yeah. And so... All, the, all those liters of wine. <laughs> yeah. In the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> Some elephant seal down there is just having the day of his life. <laughs> purple ocean water. Ooh, I like purple ocean water. And that's why penguins waddle the way they do. <laughs> It started in 1520. Magellan's wine. <laughs> the men of the Santiago yeah. scramble across the hills and float down the river and get back to Puerto San Julian, where the other four ships are. Yeah. But at this point, it's become basically like an outdoor prison camp. Yeah. Because Magellan sentenced the would-be mutineers that he didn't kill to hard labor. And the hard labor that they're doing is scrubbing the ship's Kind of refitting everything, refurbishing the ships, Mm -hmm. reorganizing all the supplies and everything. It's like a spring cleaning in the middle of Patagonian winter. Okay. And while they're doing this, they realize as they're going through their provisions, they got scammed by the Spanish merchants who stocked their ships. Okay. Like some of the barrels weren't actually full of what they were supposed to be full of. It wasn't wasn't all there. Yeah. They had about a third of what they thought they had. Okay. They had about a third of what they thought they had, and that's about what they thought they would need to get to the Spice Islands, which they think are way closer than they really are. Yeah, yeah. That's not even insult to injury. That's uh, insult to screwing me over at the port, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're screwed. They're screwed. Well, at least he killed all those guys. There's a lot less (laughs) mouths to feed, (laughs) livers to soak. So into this bleak... Bleak scene of European self-destruction. Yeah. Like, literally killing each other, fighting with each other, tearing each other apart limb from limb and hanging the limbs on the beach, finding out they got scammed by other Europeans. Yeah. The most unpredictable character appears in our story. Okay. Ooh. Tantalizing. A singing, dancing, naked giant. (laughs) Okay. Do do tell. Go on. (laughs) So, in the words of Antonio Pigafetta, Mm -hmm. our chronicler here, and one of the few that will survive the expedition, he says, "We passed two months in that place without seeing anyone. One day." we suddenly saw a naked man of giant stature on the shore of the port. Yeah. Dancing, singing, and throwing dust on his head. Man. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just pausing to see if I get a reaction. I don't have to say anything. I'd be like, awesome. Yes. This is the best thing in the world. Like, I'm going with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Where can I follow you? Singing, dancing, giant, throwing dust at your head. <laughs> this Magellan guy's got me down. Well, then, if you had been on board, you would have been the perfect sailor for this next assignment. Okay. Magellan picks one of the men, mm-hmm. and he sends him out to the giant to yeah. perform the same actions as a sign of peace. I, I'd raise my hand in a second <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Matt. Go sing, dance, and throw sand on your head with this naked dancing giant to show him friendship. I think I did those dance moves at um, my cousin's wedding last summer. (laughs) I was dancing with his aunt or something like that. Oh, I wish I'd seen that. (laughs) 
Just throwing the dust yeah. all over my head. Having done that, the man led the giant to an island into the presence of Magellan. When the giant was in Magellan's presence, he marveled greatly and made signs with one finger raised upward, believing that we had come from the heavens. Just because he put a <laughs> finger up. Are you sure it wasn't like his middle finger? Yeah, just that's like... the thing. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we have to infer the giant's perspective here because yeah, he didn't yeah. write anything down. Right. We don't know. Later on, it's kind of determined that this giant was probably a member of the Tewelche people, mm -hmm. which are a tribe of indigenous people that at the time migrated between what's now the southern Chile and Argentina. Mm -hmm. In the winter, they'd go down to the coast yeah. for fish and stuff like that. And yeah. then in the summer, they'd go up into the Pampas, hunt Guanaco and, and that okay. sort of thing. Yeah. The national park in Chile, Torres del Paine, yeah. that word Paine yeah. is a Tehuelche word that okay. means blue. Oh, okay. So they're the blue towers, like the grayish blue granite towers that come shooting out of the mountain range yeah. down there. Those yeah. actually come from Tehuelche, so... Ah, okay, the blue towers. Okay. Yeah. So, so even though this is happening what's now Argentina, technically, it's really part of Chilean history also. This is the first written account of an indigenous person of Patagonia. So this is where, literally, a Patagonian leaps into the history books. And wow. this, this is the first moment that yeah. they're written about. Okay. So they think he's pointing to the sky... Yeah. Saying you came from the heavens. Yeah. But we don't know what, you know, a gesture with a finger <laughs> means in the Tewelche language. Go back to the heavens, you jerks. All right. As it turns out, this Tewelche giant mm -hmm. is more of a godsend to the Europeans than they are to him. Right. Because remember, they're at a record low in morale, mm -hmm. right? Provisions are low. They've lost a ship. They had a mutiny. They yeah. actually had another mutiny since that mutiny that I didn't even talk about. Okay. And that one that was involving a priest. And so Magellan didn't want to torture and kill a priest, so he just marooned him on some island. But things are falling apart for the Europeans. I don't think they're going to make it through the winter. Most accounts of Magellan's journey just briefly touch on this. Oh, they saw some Patagonians. They called them giants. And then they just talk about how tall were they really? Why do they call them mm -hmm. Patagons? Yeah. Big foots because they had big feet. They had big guanaco boots. Okay. And then they go along their way. But this is where I think people are missing a big point of the story of Magellan. I think we can make an argument that if this giant had not shown up dancing on the shore and then there's no interaction with the Tewelche people, the Europeans don't make it through the winter down there. They're literally sense. killing each other. Yeah. Spreading out their limbs on the beach. They put yeah. each other's heads on pikes. They're plotting and planning against each other. They're going mad. Mm -hmm. In the, the furthest south <clears throat> any European has ever been in that part of the world. Yeah. They don't see any sign of life. The men must think, we're doomed. Yeah, they've got no, no, no food. They have, yeah. no, they have no reason to think that we yeah. could survive down here, right? right? Mm -hmm. And then they see, oh, there are indigenous people yeah. here. Yeah. And maybe we have a shot. At the very least, the indigenous people... Because it's not just this first giant. Now we start having encounters. Yeah. Tawelches come. Some of them come onto the boat. Some of the Europeans go hang out with them on shore. Have a beer. You know, that kind of thing. They said Fer that they, Fermented seal blood. They said that one of the giants ate a, a bucket of water and a whole rat without skinning it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I got a pigeon in my... <laughs> in my other room <laughs> that you can chew on for a little bit. Fun fact that you learn researching these weird stories. Yeah. Eating rats would have saved the lives 
of a lot of the men who died of scurvy on these types of trips. Apparently rats can absorb vitamin C. Okay. And sailors would always get scurvy on these expeditions and right, die, and they right. didn't know why. Apparently if they'd just eaten the rats, they would have uh, yeah. continued on. Rats are super edible. I guess. I mean, in other parts of South America, they eat guinea pigs. So maybe to the Tehuelche guy, I was just like, oh, it's like a nice, nice little snack. I think that rats are were pretty hev- heavily vilified because of the Black Plague. Mm, got a bad rap. <laughs> <laughs> They got a bad rat, if you will. Boo. Okay. Puns are okay. I like them. I would argue yeah. that without the appearance of this giant, who, who's unnamed, we don't know his name, they never give him a name, the first Patagonian giant that yeah. they see. But without this interaction with the Tewelche people, maybe Magellan never makes it across the Pacific. And yeah. his crew never makes it back to Spain. Right. There's no circumnavigation of the world. And mm. the whole course of human history has changed. Right. So now we can start to look at this whole expedition of Magellan in a different light. Sure, it was the Spanish sailed around the world. Mm-hmm. But no, it was the Spanish, the Greeks, the Turks, the Africans. They had all kinds of people on board. Right, right. And they probably couldn't have done it without the Tewelche people either. Without this singing, <laughs> dancing giant who threw... Maybe that guy. He was telling them where he was from. Just like, I was sent from heaven. Just like, okay, fine. Exactly. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I don't think that the Europeans realized it, but yeah. this was a godsend. Yeah. This was a miracle. They were down, literally killing each other. Yeah. Yeah. Their whole mission was falling apart. And at the very least, the appearance of the Tewelche people seemed to have been a great distraction to them. Mm-hmm. Because now Pico Feta starts writing about how interesting they are and their customs and what they eat and what their women look like. He's almost like an anthropologist, the way he describes it. He actually sits down with them, Pico Feta, the chronicler, and learns some of their phrases and things like that. So at the very least, all this interaction with the Tawelche people is a distraction, and it stops the talk of mutiny, at least for the moment. They're going to make it through the winter. Mm-hmm. So you could look at it as a distraction or a curiosity. They found these Patagonians. But there's another very physical piece of evidence that we can point to to say, no, actually, the Tawelches helped them survive that winter, and that is... What Pigafetta describes as an animal with a head and ears as large as those of a mule, a neck and body like those of a camel, and legs of a deer, and the tail of a horse like which it neighs. So Matt, what animal do you think we're talking about? Guanaco. Yeah, yeah. it's a throwback to Jeremy Button. Right? Yeah. We're back well, to yeah. guanacos. Okay. When I've been to Patagonia, I've seen herds of wild guanacos running free. Okay. Like in Torres del Paine National Park, you see tons of them. It's cool. Oh, okay. It's really cool. The Tewelche used the guanacos for everything, right? They, they ate the meat. They used the fur for clothing and shoes. They used the skins for their little huts. Uh-huh. They used the intestines for their bows on their bow and arrows. And nothing went to waste. Kind of like the buffalo, you know, right. in, in North America. And not only did the Tewelche share some guanacos with the Europeans, they actually taught the Europeans how to hunt them. Oh, okay. So from Pigafetta's book, we have this account. Mm-hmm. They led four of those young animals, which are the guanacos. They don't have that name yet. He just calls them those young animals. Fastened with a leash and a cord. When those people, meaning the giants, wish to catch some of those animals, they tie one of those young ones to a thorn bush. Thereupon, the large ones come on to play with the little ones, and the giants kill them with their arrows from their hiding places. Oh, that's mean. But at least it got them through the Patagonian winter. So the, the Tuelche are giving the Europeans yeah. kind of like a handbook of like, how do yeah. you survive in this really brutal climate? Right. And they actually did a hunting party together, at okay. least one that's documented. Okay. So we don't know exactly how much guanaco meat the Europeans took on, but we do know that they 
were encouraging the Tewaltes to keep bringing them more by giving them gifts. Specifically, they befriended one giant who they baptized and gave the name Giovanni. Giovanni is John in Italian, but yeah. it's Pigafetta writing this. Right. So that's why I gave him the name Giovanni de Patagonia. Right. Mm -hmm. But his name is John the Giant or, or Giovanni de Patagonia or Jack to his friends. I don't right. know. Right. But he is the first recorded in history Patagonian indigenous person mm -hmm. who had, who's given a name. And he brings them guanaco and they give him more gifts for them to bring them more guanacos. Yeah. And they're using the fur. And now instead of planning mutinies, they're having a guanaco feast. They're getting high off the guanaco hog. Yeah. It's good meat. I've eaten guanaco. Uh -huh. And you can eat guanaco and it's a good meat. You know, yeah. It's like, um, what do they call deer meat? The, venison. Like, yeah, it's like eating venison yeah. or something. Yeah. If it's prepared well, yeah. it's good. Well, I've had llama in Peru and that was fine. It was fine mm. meat, yeah. I, I hate to use the cliche, but it's a, a little gamier. I think I had llama one time up in the north of Chile. But mm. I remember that being really gamey and really just like a bone with a little bit of meat on it. But I had guanaco down in, in Patagonia. It was good. Well, I'd imagine because it's a cold it's such a cold weather animal, it's going to have a lot of fat. So that makes it even tastier. There you go. You know? That could be it. I hadn't mm -hmm. thought about that. Yeah. So that's, my theory is that the Tobelche people are part of the first circumnavigation of the world because they helped get the Europeans through that first winter that any European had ever spent in Patagonia. And so now, instead of planning a mutiny, they're chowing out on guanaco meat yeah. and they have guanaco furs to help them keep warm. And they stop talking about mutiny, for at least for that period of time. And they make it through the winter and they continue to sail south and then eventually they do find the strait. Okay. They find the, the strait. They don't call it the Strait of Magellan at the time. Magellan's not an egomaniac, I guess, or right, at least right. not yet. Later, I think he becomes one. But <laughs> at the time, they yeah. call it the All Saints Day Strait. Okay. Because it was November 1st. Oh, excellent. Okay. That's a nice time of year down there. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not wonderful. I've been down in northern Patagonia actually last year November 1st and it's it's rainy it's misty but it's like the sun is out and there's definitely like an air of uh of spring in the region you know the yeah. penguins are hatching and the yeah. the flowers are blooming right and the seas are at their calmest ah, okay and so as Magellan came into the Pacific Ocean he called it El Mar Pacifico the ah, Pacific okay. Ocean yeah because so it he was he, Pacific. He, he was the one who called it the he named Pacific it yeah Pacific Ocean so he named all this stuff he named Patagonia yeah because the Tewelche had big guanaco boot feet and they were very tall and so mm. they're called like pata is like paw yeah like a dog's paw mm -hmm. but sometimes people use it for feet too you know like yeah pata like, pata de pata pelada is like yeah. barefoot in, in Chilean yeah. Spanish it's mm -hmm. common mm -hmm. The ending gon is like big, mm -hmm. so Bigfoot, the Bigfoot Indians, the land of the Bigfeet Indians, this is what Patagonia essentially means, okay. that's given by Magellan. So he names those people, and in a kind of funny twist of irony, now the people who live down there call themselves after him. Yeah, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Isn't that neat? <laughs> <laughs> and then they all lived happily ever after. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> We're going to take a break. So, we're rounding the strait, and we're into the peaceful ocean. Where to now? Magellan and his Armada de Malucas, the Spice Island fleet, are entering the Pacific, and they're the first Europeans to ever enter the Pacific. And according to their maps, eh, a few days journey, or I think they estimated like 19 day journey perhaps to the Maluka Islands from right. there. Okay. 
They go over three months without being able to land again. <laughs> so now... You thought that southern Patagonia was bad, bro. <laughs> no mutiny, though, because by now, There's no everybody's on board. Yeah. Well, actually, I kind of skipped over this. While yeah. they were in the strait, one of the ships buggered off back to Europe. Oh, they, yeah. One of, the, one of the ships who had been so appalled by Magellan's treatment of the mutineers last time, yeah. they were like, I'm not getting drawn and quartered at the next stop. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> so one ship, um, while they're navigating the strait, which is a major feat in itself, yeah. the strait's not just like a straight strait, so to speak. It's a, a series of little canals and islands and bays right. and false you know, dead right. ends. And then you get, so it took them a, a while, a few weeks to, to navigate the strait. Yeah. And in that time, when they had the ships kind of surveying different areas, yeah. one of the ships defected. So now our and five you, ships I, are down I, to three. You know, I, I bet you they defected because they were just like, oh, there is a strait down here. This guy sucks. Let's go back to Europe and say, hey, yeah, we saw the strait. That's exactly right. You know, let's get somebody who's not a damned Portuguese or whatever, you know, epithet they had for the port Portuguese oh, at the oh, time. Porty. Porty. <laughs> I'm sure they were very apt at coming up with racial yeah. slurs in the 1520s. Especially, I don't know what they called the Portuguese. Especially sailors, you know. <laughs> ah, a party. I mean, they don't call it a mouth of a sailor for nothing, so. Well, I think you're exactly right about mouths of sailors and about the defecting ship. People were trying to convince Magellan at the time, like, okay, we found the strait. Let's mm-hmm. go back to Spain and say we found the strait, yeah. get new provisions. Right, right. We already lost one ship. Yeah. Some of our guys lost their heads on spikes. <laughs> let's, let's go back and get more heads, more ships. We'll go back and be heroes. Yeah. Maybe stop in Brazil yeah. on the way back. I don't know. You know, They're only human. I, I certainly did like those sex slaves. <laughs> now we have a ship that's defected back to Spain. Yeah. They all have to give testimony of what happened. Oh, okay. Right? They yeah. say Magellan's torturing people for no reason. Like yeah. they're they're trying to just sully the reputation of Magellan yeah. mm-hmm. and say this guy is a maniac. Yeah. We can't trust him. We had to defect. Otherwise, they're going to jail. Like this is serious stuff. You know, you can't just defect from a uh, a mission of the crown. Right. Right. Which in turn, which in turn, probably drives Magellan and crew even more to just be like, all right, if we show up. Right. From the other side of the goddamn world, they're they're we're golden. They're gonna name like people after us. As long as we find yeah. those spice islands, yeah. yeah. Like if we complete <laughs> exactly. our mission, yeah. They're basically out to get cloves, believe yeah. it or not. That's the most valuable thing in the world. Cloves. In fifteen twenty, our spices not m- many spices, not just cloves, yeah. like cinnamon and yeah, nutmeg, yeah, but yeah. cloves yeah. are their main goal. I thought cloves are something people smoke, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) They were there for clove cigarettes. Just like... (laughs) if you got them. To impress their, you know, their French girlfriends back home. Yeah. Just like, she's so... (laughs) She's so blasé. I bet you if we got some clove cigarettes all the way from the Spice Islands, she'll like us. I got, I'm no, not much okay, of a cook. Cloves, I don't know a lot about clo- uh, cloves. cloves. Enlighten me about cloves. Okay, Why are what? cloves so important that well, they have the a, history of the world is determined by their... 
Current, I, I don't know why they were in 15... No, but now. Now, now, <laughs> now they, to make rusty nails, to make the cocktail rusty nail. Is that what uh, this is all about? Yeah. <laughs> is this whole thing a cocktail recipe? Wow. Cloves. Okay. Cloves. Cl- so. uh, cloves are used for lots of things, uh, actually. You grind them up into powder, and you can, you can make a nice... I don't know, curry. You can make me have an allergic reaction if you want to. <laughs> um, well, at the time, cloves are worth more than gold, like in, by weight, in, I mean, in the 1520s. And well, I mean, up until they find a sea route, yeah, they have to go through all these hands yeah. to cross Asia, yeah. and like there's the Arab spice traders marking up the prices, and then yeah. Yeah. by the time it gets to Europe, it's gone through like a dozen hands, and the price goes up each time. So the Spanish and Portuguese are like, we got to find our own way to right. get to Clove Island, right. which is actually Indonesia, one of the Maluka Islands. It's, what we're trying to get is yeah. now Indonesia. But the one thing I think might be the, the most obvious and glaring irony of this story that we may be missing is Chile was discovered by people looking for spices, and people in Chile today still have not found spices. <laughs> I mean, Chilean food is pretty bland. Just for, just... Our, for our listeners at home, yeah. <laughs> Uh, not, Chilean food has a, a Chilean food has a the reputation of being uh, rather insipid. Chili spices. Where are we? We're we're on we're with Magellan's fleet. Looking minus, for some spicy food. <laughs> out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean for three months. Right, and so three our, months, our five said. ships are down to yeah. three. Sh- no, yeah, three ships. Yeah, because three ships. One okay. got shipwrecked in Argentine Patagonia before we met our giant. Right, mm-hmm. and one defected in the Strait. Yeah. Okay. And so now we're down to three ships, yeah. and they're way underprepared for the journey that awaits them. So yeah. again, thank God they at least got some of that guanaco meat before they took off. <laughs> because they're literally, by the time yeah. they reach land again in what's near like Guam today, yeah, they are eating the leather off of the sailing casings and stuff. I mean, they're, yeah. they're... a lot of the men die of starvation and mm. scurvy. They had actually taken one of the Patagonian giants. They actually took two of the Patagonian giants. Yeah. And one was on the ship that defected, and we never find out what happens to him. Okay. Just gone from history. Mm. The other was on one of the ships that continued in the Pacific. Yeah. And he uh, dies of an unknown disease while they're crossing the Pacific. Mm. But we don't want to get into that. That was yeah. like last week's episode. Yeah. The kidnapping and, and, and dying. Yeah. Th- this time, we've kind of already told our story of... Magellan's discovery of Patagonia we and Chile. Giovanni de Patagonia. Yeah. De Patagonia. Yeah. The first written accounts of Patagonian Indians. Mm-hmm. They've danced and leaped their way into yeah. into each history. other's hearts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! That reminds me. The hearts. Yeah. I gotta read you a little bit more of this text from that first encounter. Our first giant that we that we met, the yeah. one who appeared dancing and singing and leaping and. Pouring sand on his head on the shore mm-hmm. in Port St. Julian. Yeah. Pigofetto's account continues. He was so tall that we only reached to his waist, and he was well proportioned. His face was large and painted red all over, while about his eyes he was painted yellow. And he had two hearts painted on the middle of his cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanna I wanna know something. Because the modern <laughs> the modern heart that we think of, it, it, it's, it looks nothing like the actual heart in your chest, right? 
you know, the yeah, bo- bo- I know what the, the modern thing, you know. heart you draw looks like, yeah. and I'm assuming okay. that's what he was talking. About. Do you think? Do you think that he had drawn <laughs> two anatomically correct versions of hearts on his cheeks <laughs> with atriums and valves? <laughs> because that would be even more awesome. I would volunteer immediately for like trying to go up and do his dance. Oh, right. Now, came, came up, we came up to his waist, and he was well endowed. Yeah. So the. Pigafetta says that they were giants, mm-hmm. uh, like eight to ten feet tall, yeah. and they came up to the waist. Later eight to on, ten feet tall. Uh, I think they measured in hands. There's a measurement of it in there somewhere. Yeah, and it comes out to be like about eight feet. Uh-huh. Then later, yeah, not too long after this, actually, in the 1500s, Sir Francis Drake, a Brit, British kind of pirate privateer, mm-hmm. comes through here and, and sees these same the yeah. Patagonians. Yeah, and he says, "Oh, those Spanish were exaggerating. They thought that." A, a reasonable person, like British person, would never find this, so they could just make up whatever story they wanted. They're not eight feet tall. They're they're six feet tall. They're tall. I mean, they're tall yeah. guys. And the Spanish were short at the time. The yeah. Europeans were short. They're probably like five feet. So anyway, yeah, um, they're exaggerating because they're telling the tale. Pigafetta is like the first travel writer of Patagonia. He's yeah. embellishing for sure. Yeah, I'm sorry, I couldn't pass up turning the page back for a second to touch on the giants. I mean, it sounded like he was coming out of a four-year-old birthday party. He had his face painted with little hearts on his cheeks. That's awesome. I mean, this was a godsend for the Europeans. And he's lucky that him and his friend Giovanni got mm-hmm. some guanacos, and the other Tuelches yeah. gave him some guanacos, because they were going to need to beef up a little bit before this starvation-inducing journey mm-hmm. across the Pacific, which had yeah. never been mapped. A third of the globe's surface had never been accounted for. Mm-hmm. They get to basically what's current day Guam area, and they kind of meander their way down through the islands. Mm-hmm. I didn't do as much research on the Pacific part of the journey and the islander, you know, the different islands they visit. Yeah. It's kind of outside of my area of expertise. They don't make For it to you, Easter Island, yeah. which is part of Chile. Yeah. They, they don't hit that. They miss that. They go, what? you know. I think that's pretty easy to miss. Yeah, it's a tiny yeah. speck, but I mean... Yeah. That would have been a sort of luck interesting. if they'd found <laughs> because that's sooner. A, that's another thing we have to do is the rise and fall of the the Pasquense culture. Yeah. No, know? I definitely want to talk about Rapa Strong. Nui. Yeah. The belly button of the world. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of two belly buttons of the world. Ooh. Depending on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> Superfluous belly buttons <laughs> in this world. They don't get lucky and find some more nearby islands. Yeah. They pass Easter Island. They pass Islas Marquesas. They end up all the way in Guam. They cross the entire Pacific, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then they kind of meander their way down. They end up in the Philippines for a key part of the story here. Okay. Because we all know... Magellan was the first person to sail around the world. I mean, I remember that of all these different historical people we could talk about in Chilean history or Patagonian history or South American history, Magellan's like the only one really that we actually learn about in, at least in American schools. Yeah. We don't learn about Pedro de Valdivia or something. That in Columbus. Columbus, yeah. yeah, But I mean, for Chile specifically, like the discoverer of Chile is Magellan. Like, oh, that's someone we've heard of, you know? Right. A lot of the other Chile-specific history, like, we don't know who these mm-hmm. people are unless we research them. But we know about Magellan right. as the person who was the first person to sail around the world. But he does not make it around the world. Oh. Well, this is shocking. This is where you want to, like, jump into the pages of the history book and just tell them, like, shake them, like, Magellan, hey, keep going. Don't stop in the Philippines. <laughs> what are you doing? This isn't the Spice Islands. This isn't Spain. But... He, he's, there are no sex slaves here. <laughs> I think there might have been. I don't know. 
he becomes ever more a religious zealot as he goes. And I think he's really believing now, I found the strait. I'm sailing around the world. This is divine destiny, you yeah, know? Yeah. And he apparently starts doing some faith healing. That's always a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, yeah. start some faith healing. <laughs> so he gets involved with some of these local tribes in yeah. the islands that now make up the Philippines. Mm-hmm. One of the kings has a sick brother. And Magellan says, oh, I can heal him with my faith healing abilities. Yeah, yeah. And, and apparently he does, or at least the guy happens to get better. Or maybe some of the European food helps him get better. We don't know, really. The cloves. Oh, wait, they, they didn't, didn't have yeah, any cloves. Cloves. Yeah. Just, <laughs> what cloves. What cloves? Rats at this point. They're eating the leather off the sails. Oh, but they've restocked. I don't know. But somehow he convinces some of these islanders that he has supernatural powers, right? Yeah. And part of it's maybe they're, they're just arriving in these huge ships. They look different. They're impressive. They have guns that make loud noises. Yeah. You know, they're, they're pulling out all the normal tricks. Yeah. But he's also doing some faith healing, which I think yeah. is exceptional. And he apparently successfully converts over 2,000 islanders to Catholicism. And baptizes them. Thereby and... introducing Catholicism to the Philippines. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's one island that's kind of resisting any of this faith healing and conversion stuff. As any normal island should do. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what's normal, really. What's normal if you've been there for all of time and for the first time ever a ship comes from the east and it's just like... A giant ship. Hold know. this cross and it'll save you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we have guns, and they've never seen it before. So they go to this island called Mactan Island. Mactan. They're resisting Christianity. Apparently, mm-hmm. Magellan and his men like burn one of their villages. Yeah, just like it's not very nice to do. Yeah, just, <laughs> just like how better to convince them to not resist Christianity. Nothing says Christianity like I burned your village down. Convert now. If you're happy and you know it, burn a village down. <laughs> WWJD. <laughs> Probably burn your village down. Which WV. Which village? WJBD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which village would Jesus burn down? <laughs> so, this is again, I just want to say, Magellan. Get back on your ship and get to the Spice <laughs> Islands. What are you doing? But at this point, he's so off course. And I think, I don't know, he's like, he's lost his mind. Yeah. And he takes less than 50 of his warriors to go fight the chief of Mactan Island. All we know about the chief is his name, mm-hmm. Lapu Lapu, because it appears in Pigafetta's book. Chief Lapu Lapu. He's gotten cocky, too. He says one of his warriors is worth 100 island warriors, so he only brings apparently 49 men, and mm-hmm. he's met with over 1,500 Lapu warriors when he gets to the beach. <sighs> Mactan warriors. Yeah. Of the Lapu Lapu 50 chief. dudes. And they're overwhelmed. Of course. And yeah. Pigafetta, Antonio mm-hmm. Pigafetta, who's our yeah. storyteller here, who's given us the only written account of all this. Yeah. He takes a spear to the forehead. Oh! He's fighting along Magellan. He's fighting alongside Magellan. He's the chronicler. He's a renaissance man. He can do it all. You know? <laughs> he, he can write. He can take a spear to the forehead. Yeah. And yeah. survive to tell the story. <laughs> and apparently these spears had poison tips. Oh, man. Did he get poison in his brain? Is that why he dreamed up the giants? <laughs> in retrospect, he just like it, it affected the... 
that part of his memory. <laughs> well, just <laughs> the hearts on the cheeks and everything. <laughs> it was all that was a dream. A, that was the result of this poison from the spear. <laughs> well, whether it was induced by a hallucinogenic spear tossing or not, this is what Pigafetta writes. Okay, here we go. About yeah, here we go. The downfall of Miguel. Okay. The downfall. We retreated little by little, and still fighting, we had already got to the distance of a crossbow shot from the shore, having the water up to our knees, the islanders following and picking up again the spears which they had already cast, and they threw the same spear five or six times. As they knew who the captain was, they aimed specifically at him, and twice they knocked off his helmet. He, with a few of us, like a good knight, remained at his post without choosing to retreat further. Thus we fought for more than an hour, until an Indian succeeded in thrusting a cane lance into the captain's face. He then, being irritated, pierced the Indian's breast with his lance and left it in his body. And trying to draw his sword, he was unable to draw it more than halfway on account of a javelin wound which he had received in the right arm. The enemies, seeing all this, rushed against him and one of them, with a great sword, gave him a great blow on the left leg, which brought the captain down on his face. Then the Indians threw themselves upon him and ran him through with lances and scimitars and all the other arms which they had. And so they deprived of life our mirror, our light, our comfort, and true guide. I think he may have made this story up and there was just another mutiny. I just like it sounds. It sounds a little overwrought to me. <laughs> That's but that is that is quite. I mean, he became quite a writer. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that you would say like, is that really how it went down? Maybe there was another. I mean, we don't know for sure. How they, it went down to that this, guy. Yeah. He, he has the main written account. Yeah. From this part of it, you know, the earlier part we, just, we can corroborate yeah. mm-hmm. with the stories of those who went back to Spain. Yeah. But now we have less and less men. He's the only one that writes down a real colorful account of it, but they do interview everybody when they get back and it seems to line up. You know, we don't, Mm -hmm. this isn't like a disputed fact that Magellan was hacked to pieces on a beach in the Philippines. Like they tried to recover his body and the chief was like, we hacked it up. It's, you're not getting anything back. Yeah. Right. And he was delicious. (laughs) (laughs) They hacked him to bits so that's where Magellan's story ends. You know, he doesn't sail around the world. Yeah. He that's sails from Spain to Brazil to Argentina, discovers Chile, Strait of Magellan. To the Philippines. Gets to some islands, like Guam. Yeah. There's some other islands. I don't yeah. know the Pacific Island story yeah. of the Magellan story as mm-hmm. well as the Patagonian part of it. Yeah. Um, but that's where it ends, in yeah. the Philippines. But his expedition doesn't end there. He dies, but the men carry on. And eventually, they do find their way to the Spice Islands. Mm-hmm. And they load up on cloves. Eventually... Who's the captain? Do they form a hippie commune on that? <laughs> <laughs> the the captain ships? becomes a guy named Elcano. Elcano. Elcano, who's a Basque. And mm-hmm. he is the one that eventually takes over, you know, after the Spice Islands. There's a whole other story that could be told of all these little... Adventures and misadventures and elephant rides and crazy stuff that they go from island to island in Asia. Yeah. And they eventually find the Spice Islands. To do so, apparently, 
they found some Arab navigators who were in that area uh-huh. that knew where the Spice Islands were, mm-hmm. and like at gunpoint made them take them to the Spice Islands. Okay. So I mean, they didn't exactly find it themselves, but they did get there <laughs> with help at gunpoint. <laughs> at this point, they're down to two ships. Yeah. And now they have to decide how to go home. How do we get back? East or west? Because they're in the middle of the Pacific still. They're in Indonesia. And they have to decide. So they have two ships. They load both of them up with spices. One goes east, one goes west. Ooh. Okay. The one that goes east gets picked up by a Portuguese ship. And the guys get thrown in jail. And everything gets confiscated. (laughs) Because another twist of irony here... When they got to the Spice Islands, they found out the Portuguese already found a water route to the Spice Islands. That's why Magellan never could get approval from the king to go west. They'd already gone east. They'd gone around the tip of Africa, and they were there. They just didn't tell the Spanish about it. They were very secretive about it. Those crafty Portuguese... Portos. Those porties. So, thus justifying the epithet, yeah. just justifying the sailor's epithet. Yeah. But the one that went west, the ship that went west, uh-huh. the now Victoria, which there's a replica of in Punta Arenas, Chile. You can climb up on it and see how oh, good really? it was okay. and stuff up in there on the Strait of Magellan. Uh-huh. The one that went west, the now Victoria, they took a crazy route to try to avoid the Portuguese who went like way far south, uncharted territory again, rounded Africa, and made it back to Spain. Only 18 survivors. Most of them were starving, malnourished. They kind of like limped back into the harbor. But they became the first men to sail around the world. And among them was Antonio Pigafetta, which is why we have these great stories of the journey. So this story is actually about Pigafetta. It's, yeah, really... It's, it's, more, it's more about him than it is about Magellan. I mean, Magellan, of course, is like this giant of the story who comes only up to the waist, the waist <laughs> of the giants of yeah. Patagonia. I think the real but, story is yeah. Antonio Pigofetta yeah. and Giovanni di Patagonia. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the real story. Eating spaghetti in heaven. <laughs> A nice carbonara, which wasn't even invented until World War II. Anyways... <laughs> Anyways, that's our story for the week. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Love you.